Welcome to another episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. My name's Michael. I'm an undergrad at Columbia University, and every other week I'm joined by my old teacher from high school, Don Gonzalez, to talk about college admissions, how students can get into their dream schools, how teachers and counselors can help their students, and how colleges can change the system to make it fairer and better for everyone involved. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're on Apple, or on Spotify, or whatever app you use if you're on Android, in order to make sure you get every single new episode the second it drops. With that, thanks for listening, and let's get on with the show. So today we wanted to talk about gap years and taking a gap year, just because I've heard this from a lot of high school seniors that they're worried that in the fall, you know, school will still be online and they don't want to spend their freshman year on some weird Zoom class, which makes a lot of sense. So I've been hearing a lot more interest among high school seniors in taking a gap year than I usually do or that I heard when I was a senior. Um, And I also think it's an interesting conversation just because I do wonder if a gap year would have been better for me and is generally potentially a, a good option for a lot of people that people don't think about um, because it's not something that's brought up a lot or, or suggested. Um, so I am, I am, I'll lay out my, my cards on the table. I'm, I'm pretty pro gap year, particularly if coronavirus stretches on into the fall. But Gonzalez, I, I know you have a differing opinion. So, but mine is a qualified opinion. And so I think if you're qualifying your statement with current situation with the virus, I think that that's certainly something to consider for everyone across the board. But my argument is, is that students from low socioeconomic background might might not either A, have the ability to do a gap year, or if they do a gap year, they might fall into a trap of just not getting back. I don't think there's, you know, when you and I, before the show, were trying to find articles related to this, I, I don't think that there's enough data out there to really make an informed decision. I, I do, from my 22 years of experience, can talk about some anecdotal uh, evidence of what happens when students take time off. Well, I mean, I think, I think let's focus on the coronavirus situation in this first part, because I think that is what is triggering a lot of the conversation. I, okay, so I, this, is, this is one fact that I find very interesting, that the word gap year on Google search has actually increased 69% year over year since last year to this year. The, the search results for gap year has increased, which I think makes sense. But yeah, like what, what would you say to a student thinking about it in that situation? Low income or not, let's say they're low income. Does that change things? Well, okay. Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of things to take into consideration. And that is, is the assumption here that colleges are going to permit the gap year. You know, if, you know, some students, I, I think that talking about this also kind of reminds me of what's going on here in the state of Texas with them relieving some of the restrictions on businesses opening up. There are people who don't feel comfortable going back to work, but have to go back to work because restrictions have been partially lifted and businesses are starting to open up again. In the same way, I think that students who may not have an offer or the ability to take a gap year might feel trapped to weigh saving their spot at a college versus the potential health risk. So, I think that is true. I I do wonder what most colleges are going to 
do about it. I haven't seen any changes in, for example, the May 1st decision deadline, despite some kind of hype on that. Actually, I got an email today from Wheaton College oh. that indicated they're push- at least Wheaton College is pushing out their date till June 1st. I respect that a lot. So, all right, so some of that is taking place. And that's just one example. I haven't, you know, seen a lot. I, I happened to see that one this morning when I got the email. So I have seen some articles floating around where there's some colleges, you know, that are clearly saying that they're, that the fall at least may still be some sort of online format. Yeah. I think, for example, I think the, the clearest example of that is, is something like Brown, who I got to say, like the president has done like really good decisions and like really clear communication, but they have said that while they really want an in-person return to college, even if it is an in-person return to college, they're still going to have, for example, like large lectures as Zoom classes, because that's just kind of unsafe to have a large lecture of 500 kids jammed together. So even if you're you're back to campus, it still isn't going to be, for example, like the freshman year I had. And I think that's worth considering, because that it seems like the it seems to me at least the freshman year is the most important time and the most kind of like quintessential of your like college experience. Well, I think even backing up to that, uh, one of the things that's happening is that students are missing their orientation. Like we're in that time frame where students are starting to report or will soon be reporting to new student orientation where they do, you know, the one day or the three days or whatever the case may be, those aren't happening. Do you know how UT is handling it? Um, because I know they are orientation days which are just scattered throughout, you know, the spring and the summer. I don't know how UT is doing it, but I do know how UNT is mm. doing it uh, because my son-in-law works for the university and he's one of the advisors and they're doing all... What they're doing right now is not so much the orientation as they're doing the advising for scheduling. Oh. And all of that's being, and normally that's part of the orientation process and it's done in person. Right. And that's all being done through Zoom right now. Yeah, so I think, I think that actually does make a big difference because orientation was very awkward for me and it was in person. So I, so I can't imagine how awkward it's going to be, you know, over Zoom and trying to meet all these like random new people via Skype. Let me say this about orientation. I think orientation can be undervalued. Myself, going into college, I missed orientation because I was just coming out of the army and I I got like this truncated version of orientation and I felt like I was a semester behind everybody else in terms of knowing where things were, knowing how to kind of navigate through the system of like who do I need to talk to to find this, that, and the other? And it actually resulted in me, my first semester, only taking 13 hours instead of taking 15 hours. And that wound up biting me at the end of that semester, which led to me, wind, I wound up on academic probation. I almost lost my scholarship. So I, I don't think that we can undervalue um, the, the worth of that orientation and what kids are missing out on, especially if they're coming from a background where maybe they don't have very many family members or any family members that have gone to college. No, yeah, and I think from a social perspective, that's especially true because, you know, like, I, I don't think I'm, like, best friends with everybody who I met from orientation. Some of them, I just, like, walk by, like, I know I remember your face, but I have no idea what your name is, and that's fine. 
But I also met some of my closest friends during orientation in college. And I think particularly if you come from like a unique background, low income, you're LGBTQ+, plus, you're, interna- you're an international student, especially international students, I think, because they have their special orientation at Columbia, is that you meet kind of people like you and people with your similar background because at least Columbia and a lot of the other Ivies at least have special programming for those kind of special populations and special backgrounds that you might miss out on if it's over Zoom or whatever. So, I don't know. What's uh what's our kind of conclusion for for the people considering it right now? I think that what I would say is that they probably need to sit down and, you know, who was it? Was it Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin that always did the little T-chart? I can't remember who it was. It was one of those guys. Sit down and do a cost-benefit analysis of, like, what are the pros and cons of, of doing this and how does it impact you individually? I don't know that you can just blanketly make a statement that says gap year good or gap year bad. I think it just depends on the individual. And, you know... Here's my take on it, and I'm going to use an analogy. Like, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I'm continuing to work during the pandemic as a teacher and an administrator. And in some ways, I feel like I'm working more (laughs) every day, just taking phone calls and Zoom calls all day long. But I'm in a position where I'm able to do that, and I don't have a lot of distractions or, or anything like that. My wife and I have figured it out. But I do know that, you know, one of the things that's really come to the forefront for me is realizing, you know, I've had these students, some of them for four years, not knowing some of the things that they're dealing with, like, you know, spotty Wi-Fi, or the only way they get Wi-Fi is they go spend four hours at a McDonald's. Oh my gosh. There, there's a term for that, too. I don't know what it's called. I saw a term for this is when kids will go park themselves like in a Starbucks or at a McDonald's and like, you know, for inner city kids, it's something like a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A or whatever to make use of their free Wi-Fi or bad Wi-Fi or being at home and now having to take care of their siblings while the parents are out working or parents that now, well, you're home now, so now you can do more to help the family and dealing with all that. And so I guess part of it was, what my original thought was, and I lost it now, I've come back to it, is that I can't imagine taking a day off during this time. I'm already at home. Where am I going to go? So a day off for me right now has no worth. You know, what would I do? I'm going to stay at home and hang out with my wife? Well, I'm already with that. my wife. I just ha- I'm just happy to work. So in this, the, my analogy is this, is like, why would I take a gap here at, during a time in which I would just be working online if... I can plow through that. And what I mean by that is that why not take a gap year when you can do more with that gap year? Like, if you take the gap year, what are you going to do with that year? You know, like right now during this whole pandemic, what are you going to be able to do? Yeah. You know, are you in a position where you can actually get a job? And if you can get a job, is it going to be a job that puts your health at risk? You know, uh, or are you, you know... So, you know, because for me, if I were in the position, if I had a, a a home life that would be conducive to me doing online classes, I would just do the online classes. Yeah. 
No, I think that's really interesting because I think everybody kind of thinking about the gap year right now is still thinking about it as if it would be a normal gap year, right? As if your options were take online classes or backpack in Europe or go on, you know, like sign up through some program and volunteer or go through your school and maybe they have a special gap year program, you know, Princeton does for community service. And if it is true that classes are online during the fall, it's probably the case that those traditional options for a gap year that you're dreaming about are like not not going to happen. No, I think that's actually a really good point. Yeah. What do you think can people do during a gap year then if people are thinking about it now? Like what what is the pro? Well, I think that there are a couple of reasons why you might want to do a gap year that maybe and again, I'm thinking about the type of students that I have that, you know, over 75% of our students are on on the low side of the SES. And maybe they, maybe they could take that time to help their family. Like maybe they're both, you know, they're used to having both the mom and the dad work and only one of them can work now. I've, I've got a student right now who's a senior who's working uh, to help the family because he's able to actually do like, pizza deliveries or something and with everything going on right now with people almost everybody that's eating out is using some form of you know delivery system for food and so he's actually able to make money doing that uh that might be a reason for you to do it uh the other thing is is i think that depending on what sort of mindset that you have this might be an opportunity for you to work on a project that you know from an entrepreneurial standpoint or from writing a book uh that sort of thing yeah a research thing that you've been interested in that this would be a good time to do that if if that's what you wanted to do then this would be a good time to do that i know that even even myself you know i've been thinking about you know this is a very interesting time you know, I've lost all the commute time that, well, I've gained, I've regained the commute time that I lose every day. So I've gained, you know, upwards of 10 to 12 hours a week that I didn't have before. And rather than sit down and binge something on Netflix, why not use that time to work on a project or develop something that's going to have some value for me, either just me growing or me developing something that's going to help me financially down the road. Yeah. No, I think that that kind of second point is the reason why I have sometimes thought about whether I should have taken a gap year after high school. Now, I don't think at the time I was that into kind of startup-y stuff. I was kind of more into just like making a little bit of spare money before college and just like, oh, I'll tutor like a couple of kids just for the heck of it. Um, whereas now I'm, I think, much more into it and much more knee-deep into it. So I don't know if it would have been the best for me, but if I had this mindset, I think it would have been a good time to kind of just explore the other things that I didn't do in high school. And I think especially now in a pandemic, it's a it's a good time because you have literally all, all day long to do all this stuff. Um, but although the other thing is that I don't think, I don't think like all the traditional gap year things go away they, they just change a little bit so i mean like for example i had a friend go to to cooking school during her gap year now obviously like very bougie rich friend because she went to a bougie rich cooking school who like charges columbia tuition for cooking school um like not even residential included in the two it's crazy um but like i think like if you're interested in like learning how to cook or whatever 
online versions of that. You know, if you if you you know want to do like econ stuff, or you, you know your like direction in college is going to be one way, but you're still interested in another theater, the gap year can be a chance to explore the other academic interests. So even if you know the traditional gap year things go away, you know like they may they they may just like reemerge in a different form. No, I agree with that. You know, like I have a friend of mine right now that's using this time to teach himself Japanese. Oh, nice. And, you know, I have another friend who's trying to learn coding. And so I, th- I think there is an opportunity there to to if you wanted to do a gap year to have other forms of educating yourself that aren't the traditional going to college sort of approach. Yeah. I think the other thing to think about in terms of just like weighing it is also that it might be the case that traditional gap year things are on the table and online colleges are just, or, or, or colleges are just going to go online, right? If, if you think that colleges are going to be overcautious and think that bringing a whole bunch of kids from across not just the country but the world to one place is probably a bad idea. So they're being overcautious and they're kind of just saying, we'll do online classes – Whereas the rest of the world kind of bumps back back up and maybe everybody's still wearing a mask and everybody's still being a little bit afraid, but you can still get a job. You might not be able to travel and backpack through Europe um, with, with much safety or comfort or joy, but the other daily things in your life come back to life. I think that that's one possibility. How would that look? Like, give me an example of what you think that would look like. Like, I mean, the scenario is just like colleges go online, they're, they're afraid. So, but, you know, you, for maybe, maybe you're not in a hard hit area, or maybe you're from, I don't know, Missouri or something like that. I just imagine Missouri being not so hard hit because it's like in the middle of nowhere and it's Missouri. No, I think you're right. I think I saw a table where they weren't that hard hit, at least at one point. But, all right, so what do you do? You go hiking? But the traditional... <laughs> The traditional gap year things are still there for you, right? Yeah, you, you get a job, you you know like chill out for a little bit instead of stressing out about school. All the all the maybe reasons why you'd think about taking a gap year, independent um, or away from coronavirus, are on the table. I think the stress thing is a big deal, right? Like, I, so that's what I was going to ask. That's the question that I have. What is the rationale behind take the virus out of it for just a moment what is since you're talking about traditional measures what is the traditional reason for taking a gap year what are the reasons for that you know i think that there's obviously like the rich kids are going to travel or whatever some fancy program put them aside for a second because they're going to be be dealt with i think you know for like the average kid for particularly for the kind of like average slightly undisciplined kid it's a good time to like just take a year off and, and figure some stuff out. For example, like get a job and maybe that'll, that'll push some discipline into you. Um, or if you were like a really highly stressed out kid and you know goal chasing after the Ivy League or, or whatever, um, you take the year off to kind of think about that a little bit or at least just chill out and not be so you know stressed out about academics. Because I do think especially for that you know latter case about the stressed out kid, if you don't have a shift in mindset between stressed out about academics in high school and stressed out about academics in college, it's going to be a big deal because it was okay to be stressed about it 
academics in, in high school, I think. But I don't think it's okay to be that way in college because that I don't think is a big part of college. I think the other big part of college is chilling and social life and the other stuff that you might not have done in high school. And that year is kind of your reset year. Well, the other thing I was thinking of as you were talking about that is there's some people that just need a year to mature. You just might not be like he'll he'll never listen to this. So I'll just say it. My oldest son, <laughs> my oldest son was the sort of person that needed that gap year to mature. Um, he went to school on my dime for a semester and failed out because he enjoyed the social aspect of going to college, but he didn't 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 like going to class. He liked hanging out. He enjoyed the social life too much. And so I think that he could have benefited. And I think he would tell you that now because he's since gone back to school uh, and gotten a degree as a working man. And that's been very difficult. But I think had I as his parent recognized that maybe he wasn't ready for college uh, and maybe even intervened after that first semester and just said, look, why don't you take some time off? Instead, I pushed him to go another semester and then he was asked not to return. And so then it was forced upon him. And so I think that that might be an example of like maybe him going out for two reasons. Number one, getting the discipline of having to go to a regular job, like, you know, nine to five sort of thing that builds that discipline part of it and everything else that comes with the job. And also the fact that, look, you're 18 or 19 years old and you're having to work every day versus, hey, you could be going to school half a day every day and then coming home and living off of mom and dad, you know, <laughs> in his case, because he was, he was living at home at the time. But so anyway, I mean, I think that there's some value in doing that too and, and thinking about that. And I think that I think that the adults in people's life should, students should use them as resources. You know, I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser now. If I'd have done it all over again, I think with my son, I would have just said, uh, look, I think you probably need to take some time off, especially knowing what I know now. It, so that might be another time when I might benefit. Some. You know, I think what motivated me to push him is that I was concerned if he took a year off, he wouldn't go back that he would be too comfortable not going to school. And I think that's a big point of pushback for, for a lot of parents. You know, I think that's what they're worried about is that the kid is going to, you know, like make a rock band and travel the country for the rest of their life instead of getting back on track after the one year. Yeah. So that goes back to my, one of the questions that I had on the, at the top of the show. And that is, you know, I don't, I don't even know the logistics of how gap years work. I know that sometimes students are given the option when they're accepted. I don't know. So can you talk a little bit about that? How does, what are the logistics of getting a gap year? Yeah, so it's just going to depend on, on the school. Most schools will let you request a gap year until June 1st. So you know, the, the, you know, the colleges I know best, right? So like your, your top 20s are going to let you do that. Um, I've also seen other you know, schools just across the spectrum, not just top tier schools, not have a formal policy on it. And you just kind of have to request it and play it by year. So for example, uh, Rensselaer, I think it's called Rensselaer Technological Institute um, up in, I think, upstate New York. Uh, that is their kind of like ad hoc policy. So um, you just have to talk to your school and email your admissions office about it. Yeah. 
one thing I want to get back to and finish up on is your point about like low income students and this maybe not being a good option for them. You know, like I, there's there's definitely academic literature on it. Like on my second screen now, I have a, a study from some fancy person about it that I I've skimmed. But, but and, and I think there are differences in how the literature kind of thinks about it. This study seemed to say that people who, you know, are low SEC, who are like Hispanic, who are male, uh, actually gender was st- statistically significant. If they take a gap year, their gap year is for two years. Whereas the study said your white upper middle class to, to wealthy folk um, tend to only take it for like six months, so only take one semester off. So, so what is what is your take on on how like low socioeconomic students should think about this? Well, so I remember a couple of years ago that I was at a conference where um, I cannot remember her name. She was a Hispanic woman who was may have been under the Clinton administration, was the head of the Department of Education or one of the programs with the Department of Education, and she made a comment. This was a Hispanic conference. She said. Our kids, and she meant like our students and whatnot, are just one incident away from dropping out of college. And then she went She went on to tell a story about a kid who was on their way to night school or whatever and had a blowout on their car. And that, that one act of that blowout is what derailed them from finishing school because they didn't have enough money to get a new tire or whatever the case was. And I, I think that... The thing that I'm sensitive to is that sort of story. Now, obviously, that's an extreme story, but, you know, like, the majority of students in my school are Hispanic female. They're already having to overcome the stereotype of their culture that they should stay at home and be moms. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but that it's already a struggle for them to convince their families that they should be allowed to go away to college most of the one of the things that we struggle with is letting them leave too far from home and so you know like and i'm seeing this right now what's going on with some of my juniors and seniors that are at home is they're getting that pressure right now it's like well if you're not really going to school then you should be helping your mother make dinner or you should be helping with the kids and so i think there's a, a trap of getting caught up in that and and not getting out of it the other side of this, and I've seen this with a student that graduated a couple of years ago, is that you get a you possibly get a decent paying job, and for an 18 or 19 year old that seems like a lot of money, and you're having fun making that money, and that's more they I think students at that age tend to be very short sighted and short term in their view that. Yeah, maybe maybe you're making, you know, a couple of thousand dollars a week and that may seem like a lot for an 18 or 19 year old, but in the big scheme of things, it's not very much. And to give up your edu- you know, I still am a big believer that education is the key to opening up opportunities for anybody. I still believe in the American dream in that way that, you know, and maybe I'm a little naive about how much of it is a meritocracy or not, and maybe that's a topic for another podcast, but I know like in my case, for example, being the only person in my family to go to college that my education opened a bunch of doors for me that wouldn't otherwise. And so, you know, and, I, and I've seen it in my in some of my family members, too, just that, you know, you 
come to that fork in the road of like this job that's going to pay you maybe $40,000 a year with a high school diploma versus you have to have delayed gratification of the four years to go to college to be able to make a more significant impact on changing your family. You know, if you, I tell my kids, if you want to help your family, go to college so that you'll have an opportunity to, to, to make a greater amount of income and actually start changing the culture of your family. But, you know, like, I, you know, I, I get that, right, as the kid who gets the job stays in the job. But the other thing we said, or at least maybe I, it was just me who said this, is that the job helps you mature. So, like, if you're an immature person, we tell them to think about the gap here because the job will discipline them. And then because they're immature, they just keep doing the job. So here's what I would say about that. My experience with my kids that are from the low SES backgrounds, they're already more mature because they're already having to work more than the average suburban kid. So the advice is more for like the, the kind of doopy yes. suburban kid. I mean, I, yeah. And I, I, you know, cause I think that they're, that the kids that come from that back, the sort of background I'm describing from like my school and the school surrounding is that those kids tend to be a little grittier and they have to be more mature because they get put in situations um, that other kids don't, you know, like, like, so when they go to college, I mean, this is, this seems trivial, but when they show up to college, they're already going to know how to separate their clothes when they go to the washing machine. They know to put their whites with the whites and the colors with the colors and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a trivial example, but they know how to take care of themselves. Well, I mean, like, I, <laughs> I, I know someone who, uh, who, who had his, his, his mom, <laughs> like, roll up the sleeves on his <laughs> button-down shirt before, before college, so he didn't know how to do it in, in college. Um, so... I think I've shared the story with you that when I was in college living in the dorm as a freshman on Friday nights as I was getting ready to go on a date, I was ironing one of my shirts. This is back in the 80s when everybody had to have starch shirts. You know, the starch button downs was the thing at SMU. (laughs) And I was starching and ironing my shirt and pressing it. And the guys were like, you know how to do that? And I'm like, yeah. Can you help me? And I was like, yeah, for I made money you off charged. of them. I made money off of them. Yes, I did. I had a line of guys you. out, and I paid for my Friday night dates that way. Uh, but just something simple like that, you know. Um, anyway, I mean, I, I guess my argument is is that the the kids that uh, come from a lower socioeconomic status are, are, are thrown into situations at an earlier age where they're helping to raise their siblings and they're having to help uh, in the household in such a way where they, they have a tendency to to be more mature. That doesn't mean that they're more experienced. They still have to deal with, you know, things that teenagers deal with uh, for a lack of experience. But I just think they have an edge to them that some suburban kids don't. And I see some of that, too. Like, um, you know, I host summer camps. And then when you see the difference between some of the kids that have never been away from home and don't know how to do anything, deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think in terms of like the gap year, I think it, it. I think what we're saying is that the value of the gap year to like discipline somebody is maybe not something like a low SEC person would take value. Right. But like, I think they would take value still from the, the freedom of it. If, for example, they're like the highly stressed out kid, they just have to figure out a way to have that freedom without the parents like reeling them back in. 
and, and I guess I don't know how to, you know, manage that gap because I'm, I'm not of that population. Yeah, I mean, and that's not to say that's going to happen all the time. It's just, it's I've seen it happen so often. I do agree with you, though, that if you have a kid that's highly stressed, a gap year might work. You know, I was telling you before we went on air that um, when I graduated college, I actually had, well, I didn't tell you this, but I had to take an extra science class. You know, I walked without getting my diploma because my advisor missed that I didn't have enough science credit. So I had to take an astronomy class in the summer before law school. And so I had like two weeks between finishing the astronomy class and going. I didn't even have the full summer. Yeah, and awful. so I was burnt out. If I had to do it all over again, I would have taken at least a semester. And in law school, really taking a semester is not going to work. You have to take the full year. I would have taken the full year. So I can see how there's a benefit. And, you know, if we're talking, you know, and maybe again, this is another episode for another day, but taking a gap year between your college and grad school or college and, you know, or in, yeah, between college and grad school of any sort, uh, definitely a proponent of that. Well, because at that point, you presumably, because you already went to college, have more freedom and are less likely to be reeled in by the mom telling you, hey, help me cook dinner and take care of the cousins. Yeah, hopefully by that point, you're moving out on your own. Okay, cool. Uh, I like it. I like it. I like this little thing about gap years. Um but we, I think maybe we can make this a regular corner, but do we want to plug the, the book that is in the makings and just preview it for people? The untitled book? The untitled book. book, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I think the, the pitch for it is, the pitch for the podcast is, you know, I'm, I'm like a college kid helping, you know, high school seniors through the college application process. Gonzalez is an actual teacher, admin at a school helping high school seniors and high schoolers in general think about college admissions and their futures. And the reason why I like this podcast so much is because those two perspectives. And I think we want to turn that into a how-to guide about how to do college admissions from both perspectives. Good pitch? Yes, absolutely. So actually what I would add to that is that we welcome any sort of comments and feedback of what you'd like to see in that sort of uh, of book and I think that one of the things that we'll do is that as we finish a chapter we'll you know probably give a quick preview of it on a on an episode to kind of get feedback from you so you actually be part of the process so if you want to give some feedback tell us what you want to hear about whether on this podcast or in that book um, you know where to go admissionsuncovered.com click the contact us button and fill out that form and um, we would love to hear from you but yeah thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you guys soon Thanks again for watching this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. Look, I know college admissions is super confusing, and that's one of the reasons that Gonzalez and I are doing this podcast, to give information to the people who need it the most. But the thing is, you might have more questions, and some of those questions might be personal to your situation and what you want. Well, that's why I'm offering a special opportunity for listeners of the podcast to work with me individually through my college admissions counseling and test prep company, GAO Admissions. I've seen some great results over the years. On average, SAT scores go up by 100 to 150 points. Students I have counseled have gotten into schools like Dartmouth, the University of Pennsylvania, gotten full rides from schools like the University of Texas and other schools like that. And so I'm here to help if you have individual questions. So if you're ready to get started on your college journey, go to gowadmissions.com, scroll to the bottom and fill out that contact me form and I'll be in touch.